Well, Merry Christmas to all of you who are joining us online, as well as those of you who are meeting here at Central Campus, along with the others of you meeting at one of our other campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland, and Bearspaw. Back in 1994, Mariah Carey released a song entitled, All I Want for Christmas is You. It's a love song. It's one of the most popular Christmas songs of all time. Which leads me to ask... What is it that you really want for Christmas? I told my wife Gwen the other day, all I want for Christmas is more pants with elastic waistbands. Some of you may be able to relate with that. Aren't sweatpants and anything elastic a wonderful pandemic isolation accessory? Indeed. But seriously, I'm guessing the number one longing for most people these days is all I want for Christmas is for this pandemic to finally end and to be free again. Now, 2,000 years ago, if you had interviewed a typical person in Israel and asked them what they longed for, most would have said, all I want is the Messiah. Let me explain. You see, back then, Israel was under the control of the Roman Empire. And every person in Israel, including those following Christ, dreamed of the day that they would be freed from this oppressive regime. And there were prophecies in the Old Testament scriptures about a deliverer, a Messiah, who would set them free and would usher in a new kingdom or a new government, which they believed would include a new political and economic system that would provide safety, security, health, and prosperity. And one of those prophecies is found in Isaiah 9, verse 2 and 6. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, or God's kingdom, will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, when Christ came to our planet, it had been over 700 years since that prophecy was given by the prophet Isaiah. And so most people didn't have much hope of this prophecy ever coming true in their lifetime. That is until they met Jesus. They never met anyone like Jesus before. He taught with unusual wisdom and authority. And his power, well, they had never seen such power displayed before by anyone. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He walked on water and he calmed the raging sea. With each passing day, his followers felt hope growing inside of them. Surely Jesus was the promised one. Surely Jesus was the Messiah, the political, the military leader who would free them 
from the tyranny of Rome and bring freedom and prosperity back to the people of Israel. But then everything changed. Within a matter of hours, Jesus was arrested, tried, and convicted by a circus court, scourged mercifully, mer- mercilessly, and crucified on a cross. No one expected this. Oh, make no mistake, Jesus had warned them more than once that this day would come, but they just dismissed it because of his supernatural power. I mean, it was just inconceivable to them that any earthly power could possibly stand up to him, much less overpower him. As far as they were concerned, all this talk of dying could never happen. But it happened. You see, what they hadn't anticipated was that Jesus wouldn't resist his accusers and his executioners. But he would willingly lay down his life like a lamb led to the slaughter. And so when Jesus breathed his last on that accursed cross, their hope died with him. Clearly, he wasn't the Messiah they were hoping for. His disciples fled and hid like frightened children. The Jesus chapter of their lives was over. Now, if I were to survey those of you listening to me right now, I believe that we would discover a number of you feeling a little bit like the disciples did following Christ's death. You're discouraged. You're experiencing a dark night of the soul. The announcement of yet another COVID variant and all the implications that will likely Um, that will likely come with that is causing you to lose hope that this COVID nightmare will ever end. Some of you have lost your jobs and are losing hope that you're ever going to find meaningful employment. Some of you are losing hope of finding a marriage partner. Others are losing hope in your marriage. Others are losing hope in the direction that your children's lives are taking. Some of you have suffered loss of a loved one, and or the loss of a relationship with friends or members of your family. And not only do you miss those relationships, but you are feeling increasingly hopeless about having meaningful relationships again. And then, of course, many of us are concerned about the cultural and the political shifts, the seismic shifts that are happening and wondering what kind of world our children are going to live in in the days ahead. Even though our circumstances may be different, I'm sure many of us can identify with the disciples whose entire world was turned upside down the day that Jesus died on the cross. But then a short time later, something totally unexpected happened. Jesus' disciples came out of hiding and they came back together again. And it was evident that something had happened to them that radically changed their lives, their perspective and their convictions, and that gave them renewed hope, a fiery passion, and boldness like they never had before. 
Something happened that motivated them to leave everything precious to them and to boldly proclaim their faith despite facing the threat of prison, torture, and death. And that something was they personally encountered the resurrected Christ. You see, after his resurrection, over the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples and to hundreds of others, many of whom were still alive at the time that some of the scriptures were written, like 1 Corinthians, for example. Which means people who were skeptical or who didn't believe that Jesus actually rose from the grave could actually talk to and question those who saw the resurrected Christ. And when the disciples met the resurrected Christ, many of the dots connected for them. Now, the prophecy that I just read a few moments ago, which Isaiah made about the coming Messiah, being called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now all of that made sense. Now they knew that Jesus was so much more than a prophet with special powers. No, he was mighty God. Now the things that he said and taught began to make sense and they finally realized what he meant when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. They now realized that his kingdom was not an earthly government, but a spiritual kingdom. And that the freedom that he talked about was so much more than liberation from Rome. Their hope turned to certainty, became a reality in the living Christ, and they followed him faithfully from then on, boldly proclaiming for over 40 years that Jesus lives, that he is God and the Savior of the world. Now, over these last three weeks, in our weekend services, we've been talking about hope and the basis for true hope. The truth is we all need hope. Our hearts cannot live without hope. Hope is for the soul. What breathing is for the body. But here's the thing. There is no true hope without God. And I really hope <laughs> and pray that that is the one thing you take away today. There is no true hope without God. You see, when Jesus died, the disciples, they lost all their hope because their hope was in the temporary things of life, in also in what Jesus could do for them, which was freeing them from Roman oppression. And you see, when that didn't happen, they lost all hope. However, all that changed when they met the resurrected Christ because now their hope wasn't in what Jesus could do for them, but in who Jesus is, the mighty God. You see, true hope is linked to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to help us understand this, the Apostle Paul posed a question in 1 Corinthians 15. What if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. And he proceeded to answer his own question. One implication, he said, is that our faith would be futile and our preaching would be useless. 
Atheist Richard Dawkins has said, if the resurrection is not true, Christianity is null and void. And he's right. Without the resurrection, Christmas would be just one more birth announcement among many. We'd have no reason to celebrate Christmas at all. Now in verse 32, Paul gives another implication. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In our 21st century context, what the writer is saying is, if there is no God, and there is no hope of an afterlife, well, then this life is all there is. And if this life is all that there is, then the pursuit of happiness is about all that matters. We may as well eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You see, that's the logical conclusion, the um, uh, if you take God out of the picture, if the resurrection didn't happen. And the truth be told, many in our culture live as if this life and the temporary things of this life is their only hope. And that's where the deception lies. And that's why there's so much unhappiness and restlessness and despair today because the best human life is ultimately disappointing. Even wealth, fame, power, position, and unlimited pleasure do not bring true happiness. For we've all known or we've read stories of people who've, who have all of these things and more, and they're still miserable. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus warns us not to store up ourselves treasures on earth, to never base your hope and your identity in something that you can lose or something that you leave behind when you die. For example, if you build your hope and your identity around your spouse and your children and they reject you or they disappoint you or they leave you in death, what's the basis for your hope and identity then? If your hope and identity is built on your career and your job is eliminated or your company doesn't make it financially, what's the basis for your identity and your hope then? If your hope is based on your money and your possessions, what will it profit you if the moment you breathe your last, you realize you gained the whole world, but you didn't know God or you didn't know God very well? If your hope and identity is built on how good-looking you are and your beauty fades over time, and trust me, it will, what will be the basis of your hope and your identity then? Comedian Jim Carrey was speaking from personal experience when he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. In 1 Corinthians 15, 19, the Apostle Paul essentially said the same thing, but he said it this way. If our hope is only in this life, we are of all people to be pitied. 
We're to be pitied, folks, because we're putting our hope in the wrong things, in things that won't last. And trust me, implies Paul here, the things of this world won't keep their promises. They will let you down. Again, you see, these are the logical implications if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, if God is out of the picture. We have no true lasting hope. However, Paul declares in verse 20, the truth is Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead. And that changes everything, folks. Because Jesus conquered death. It proves that he is who he claimed to be, the mighty God. And that gives us a basis for hope, a lasting eternal hope. Because unlike the temporary counterfeit gods of this life, Jesus is eternal and he will never leave us or forsake us. Furthermore, because Jesus is mighty God, we know that his teachings and his promises in the scriptures are true. They're worth following. They're worth believing. They're true. Because he is mighty God, we know that we are not a chance collection of prebiotic soup but that he loves us, he created us for a purpose and wants to change the world through us. These are just a few examples of why we can put our hope and our trust in Jesus. I could give many more, but in the time remaining, I want to just highlight two in particular. First of all, because Jesus is mighty God, we need not face the challenges of life alone. You know, one of, my most, one of the most frequent promises of the Bible is not, I will forgive you, even though that promise is mentioned many times in Scripture. Neither is the promise of eternal life the most frequent promise in the Bible. No, the most frequent promise in the Bible is, I will be with you. And of course, Christmas reminds us that out of his great love for us, Jesus left the glory of heaven to be with us. 700 years before Jesus came to our planet, God foretold his coming again through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7:14. He wrote, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Not God above us, not God all around us, but God with us, a personal God. All the way through the Bible, God regularly tells his people, I will be with you. In fact, the last thing Jesus said before he ascended to heaven was this promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And when Jesus says, I will be with you, he's not saying, I'll go along for the ride and and just provide you with some moral support. No, he's saying, I call you friend. And if you will turn off the TV for a little while and stop and let go and be still, if you'll cry out to me in your time of need, in your time of fear and uncertainty, I will do what you can't do. You see, it's in those quiet moments with God when we are still and focus on the fact that he's God and we're not, that we're reminded of his perspective. We're reminded that 
God is in control. We're reminded that he is aware of what's going on in our lives. We're reminded that he's working behind the scenes and he knows things that we don't know and he sees things we don't see. In those quiet moments, we are reminded from the scriptures to focus on him, to be patient and faithful and to rest in his sovereignty. Now, to be clear, God does not promise us happy endings. And the reason for that is because we live in a broken world. This world is not the way God intended it to be. Neither does God promise that we will not face hardships or be kept safe from hurt and harm. What God promises us is that he is with us. That we are not alone. That he will walk through the valley with us. Friend, I don't know what dark valley that you're walking through right now, if you are, but you need not go through it alone. You may be facing a difficult medical diagnosis, but you need not face it alone. You may be facing turmoil in a relationship at work or with a family member or a friend, but you need not face it alone. You may be facing a heartbreaking loss, but you need not face it alone. Because Jesus is mighty God, we can trust him with our problems, with our concerns, because we know Jesus is part of every equation, and if he is part of every equation, we have reason to really hope, because Jesus, with Jesus, all things are possible. Now, having said that, I also want to acknowledge from my own personal experience of going through dark valleys more than once that there are times when what you just heard me talk about right now, about God's love and care and his presence, will seem empty and hollow to you. And the only thing which will keep you going is a stubborn faith that refuses to run from God, but instead chooses to run to God and to lean into him. Nothing else will work. Nothing else will bring relief or peace. It's flat out making a decision to go through the valley with God rather than without him. Friend, whatever the problem, whatever the crisis, you need not face it alone. We may not know how it's all going to turn out, but we know the good and the mighty God who will work it out for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. And so first of all, because Jesus is mighty God, we need not face the challenges of life alone. Secondly, because Jesus is mighty God, our sins, regrets, and failures need not define us. You know, my sense is that many people are miserable and they're losing hope because of the problem of regret. We all have regrets. We have all done things we wish we hadn't done and said things that we wish we hadn't said. The Bible is true when it says we all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Now, the sad thing is I regularly talk with people who believe they are doomed 
to live with those sins and those regrets the rest of their lives. They can't seem to get on with the present because they're stuck with the, in the regrets of the past. So much of people's unhappiness and their obsessive behavior is motivated by a subtle attempt to pay the debt to atone for their sins. In fact, the essence of every religion outside of Christianity is man trying to pay for their sins against God through good works, through religious ritual, through meditation, or through some prescribed pathway. The problem is, we can't do enough. We can't be good enough to pay for our sins. I mean, for example, suppose you slandered someone's character. How can you possibly measure the damage and the hurt that you caused by doing that? And how do you pay for, or how do you make amends to God and to that person for assassinating their character? It's impossible. And you see, that is our problem. The good news of Christianity is this. God knows we can't ever atone for our own sins. And so he does an amazing thing. Because of his great love for us, God himself became a man. And as a man, he died for you and me. As our mighty God, Jesus took our place of judgment. He paid for our sin, thereby making a way, the only way I might add, for us to become a friend of God. It is the gift of grace and it is one of God's greatest gifts. Colossians 2:14. Look what it says. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus took our place and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross so that we could stop nailing ourselves to the cross. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who have put their faith in Jesus. Jesus says, I don't want to condemn you. I want to save you and I want to change you. I want to give you peace within by giving you the opportunity to unload the sin and the shame and the regrets that you've been lugging around for who knows how long. And also by giving you the hope to start over again. Your spouse may never forgive you. Your parent, child, friend, or coworker may never forgive you. But because Jesus is our mighty God, he will forgive you absolutely and completely when you come to him humbly and with repentance. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My question is, have you embraced the living Christ and his forgiveness? You know, people think that what's wrong with our world is a political problem or it's an economic or an educational problem and there is some truth to this perspective of course but the reason that there is so little hope and peace on earth is because we have a heart problem 
By heart problem, I'm talking about that part of us that would rather rule than serve. That part of us that would rather have than give. That part of us that would rather be honored than to honor others. That would rather maintain control than trust God and surrender to him. And so over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to change the world fundamentally by changing us. All the way down through history, as people were introduced to Jesus and they grew in their friendship with Jesus, they increasingly began to reflect the love, the joy, the peace, and the hope of Jesus. The greedy became more generous. The, the cruel became more kind and caring. The impatient became more patient. The harsh became more gentle. The proud became more humble. And the bitter and the resentful became more gracious and forgiving. And many began to follow the example and the way of Jesus by elevating the value of human life, by meeting the needs of the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the uneducated, and the sick, and by coming against injustice and racism and abuse. And friend, in the same way Jesus wants to bring peace to your world and my world, to your personal life, to your marriage and your family by first transforming your heart with his grace and forgiveness. You see, our fundamental heart problem is pride and self-sufficiency. We all have this natural desire to be our own God, to be in charge, to put our hope in ourselves and in our abilities rather than to trust the true living God with our lives. And the Bible calls this prideful attitude sin, for it is what separates us from God. Sin at its core is an attitude that defiantly says to God, I don't want you in my life. I want to live my life the way I want to live it, free from your influence. And yet here's the thing. Until we come to a place of surrender and humbly acknowledge that he is God and we're not, we will never experience true hope and peace in our lives or true fulfillment and satisfaction because we're trying to be someone that we were never created to be. Jesus taught us that the key to real peace is found in having a childlike attitude. In Matthew 18, verse 3, Jesus called a little child to himself and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He was talking there about being childlike, not childish. Just want to draw that to your attention. Now, in today's world, you see, this idea doesn't make any sense. But Jesus is saying that his kingdom functions polar opposite to the thinking of our world. In his kingdom, the people who experience the greatest joy, peace, hope, and satisfaction in life, and the people he will use the most to make an eternal impact are not the proud, are not the self-sufficient, but those who, like little children, totally depend and trust in him and are humble enough to acknowledge that they need his grace and his help and his guidance continually. 
Friends, Jesus wants to be more than just another name to you. He wants to be the source of true hope, peace, joy, and victory in your life. But you have a choice to make. You can focus on your problems or the problem solver. You can wrestle with your fears and anxieties and disappointments and try to figure it all out yourself. Or you can rest in Jesus, the mighty God, and embrace his gift of grace. I'll close with this. Max Licato tells of a time that he sat down next to a mentally challenged boy named Billy on an airline flight. Billy's opening line was one that makes every traveler jump for joy. He said, oh good, I'm glad that you're sitting next to me. Sometimes I throw up. (laughs) Billy went on to say, I'm 14 and I'm going home to see my daddy. Can't wait to see him because he looks after me. I need someone to look after me because I get confused a lot. Billy was a little boy in a big body. Unashamed of his needs, he didn't let the flight attendant pass without reminding her, don't forget to look after me because I get confused. When they brought food, he said, don't forget to look after me. When they brought more drinks, don't forget to look after me. Licato says, I, can't, I honestly can't think of a time that Billy didn't remind the crew that he needed attention. Now, of course, the rest of us, says Licato, we weren't like that. We never asked for help. We were grown-ups, sophisticated, independent, self-reliant. You know, as I read this, it dawned on me that Billy, though mentally challenged, had a significant edge and has a significant edge on most people today. He understood grace. He knew what it was like to place himself totally in the care of someone else while so many people resist ever doing that. Because in our culture, mature, intelligent, sophisticated people don't need other people. And least of all, God. Oh, don't get me wrong. We all do. It's just like we like to pretend we don't. You see, confession and surrender is an admission of need. And that is something we just resist doing. Lakata writes, It occurred to me that Billy was the safest person on that flight. Had the airline encountered trouble, the flight attendants would have bypassed me and gone to him. Why? He had placed himself in the care of someone stronger. And I ask you, friend, have you? In whom is your hope? I submit to you, there is only one source of hope that is absolutely irrevocably and completely reliable. And that is my Jesus. No one will ever love you more than he does. He came and he died to pay for our sins, to fix our heart problem, and to make a way for us to become a friend of God and to experience a new 
and a full life, a life of true freedom, joy, and peace. But you see, to receive it, you have to humble yourself. You have to do something that we hate doing, that is you have to release control, even as Billy did. And you have to surrender your life to Christ and his control. And like a little child reaching up to her father with open hands, simply receive God's amazing grace by faith. The question is, have you placed yourself in his care by faith? Sooner or later, we all have to make a decision about Jesus. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. Would you please bow your heads, close your eyes. In a moment, I'm going to close with a prayer, not unlike the one I prayed many years ago that changed the entire trajectory of my life and my eternity. If you'd like to become a friend and a follower of Jesus, then whether you're worshiping with us in person or online, I invite you now to pray this prayer with me. God knows your heart. You don't need to pray it out loud unless you want to. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and pursuing me. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming one with us and on the cross making a way for me to become your friend. I admit I have a sin problem. I have a heart problem in that I can't fix it myself. I need a Savior. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that many times I've gone my own way rather than your way. Please forgive me for my pride, my sin, and my selfishness. Come into my life, Lord. Change my heart. Make me into the person that you want me to be. I want to cultivate a friendship with you, Jesus, and I ask that you would begin to transform my character like unto yours and that you would guide me going forward and use my life, Lord, to bring hope where there's hopelessness, love where there is hate, and peace where there is turmoil. I love you, Lord. I trust you, and I intend to follow you wherever it is you lead. I pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer from the heart, you can be sure he's heard you. And I want to say to you, welcome home. Welcome home to Jesus. I want to tell you about what's happened if you prayed that from the heart. In the spiritual realm, a miracle has taken place. You are now a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Because you asked him in faith, Jesus has invaded your life and he will increasingly live out his life of love, joy, peace, through you. I challenge you to let someone know of your faith decision. If you're here in person at this campus or at one of our other campuses, let the campus pastor or one of the prayer partners who will be at the front of the worship center following the service
let them know of your decision. You can also talk to anyone wearing a Hope t-shirt or a lanyard. If you're online, you can text FAITH to 403-293-3900. I encourage you to do that. And then follow it up with a call. Call the church during business hours and speak to one of the pastors. We'd love to follow up with you. Now, undoubtedly, you may have more questions. And we want to be available to help you with your questions and so, and also to pray for you and encourage you in any way we can. And so to help us with that, I'd like everyone right now to help yourself to the little response card in the seat back in front of you. And take a moment right now to fill out that card. For example, if you prayed along with me a moment ago and said yes to Jesus, to begin a relationship with him, just check that box. Be sure to give us your name and your contact information. We promise not to hound you. But as I said, we simply want to be available to help in any way that we can.